And it should have been an actual switcheroo in this story where we think it's the Flag Smashers, but no, 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 the Flag Smashers are right. It's all this other apparatus. That's where the real villains are. Welcome to the Skiffy Infanti Show, Screen Scouts. Where Captain America is no longer on the moon. That's true. He's no longer on the moon anymore. <laughs> I'm Sean. I'm Brandon. And on today's show, we're joined by two, that's right, two, count it, special guests. Uh, first up is Fike, also known as Lodai, uh, a Pakistani-born hip-hop musician and poet. Welcome to the show, Fike. Thank you. And the second, we have Ali Bustin, a game designer and writer. Thank you for joining us, Ali. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So today we'll discuss The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, released by Disney Plus and Marvel Studios, starring, among others, Anthony Mackie, Sebastian Stan, Aaron Kellerman, Emily Van Camp, Wyatt Russell, Daniel Bruhl, and some others, and directed entirely by one director, Carrie Skogland. But before we do that, a friendly reminder that we want to hear from you. Share your comments with us about this and past episodes at skiffyandfanty.com slash listener suggestions. We want to put together a listener mailbag at some point, uh, so uh, please share your thoughts, questions, topic suggestions, and more, and we will make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's do it. So I volunteered myself to tell the, the rough summary of the show, but we will get into spoilers after the summary, so if you've not seen the show, stop now. Go watch it on Disney Plus or wherever it is you're going to watch it. If you're on the moon, I guess, where Captain America used to be, you could watch it there. I think they also get Disney Plus on the moon. Yeah, most likely. Yeah, most likely. I think so. The reception's good up there. <laughs> so the the rough story of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, this is taking place after the events of the last Avengers movie. Uh, and Steve Rogers has passed due to old age, because he's, I don't know, 637 years old now. He's a very old man, uh, and he's passed away. Falcon has decided, Sam Wilson has decided, that uh, instead of taking on the mantle, as was strongly suggested at the end of Endgame, he is instead going to relinquish the shield as a kind of symbolic representation, to basically have it put on display. Uh, and so he relinquishes the shield, he continues to operate as a sort of extrajudicial agent, uh, working for, I'm not sure exactly who he works for, but going around and dealing with, uh, you know, Baltrek the Leaper and a bunch of other things, and Getting all that. Meanwhile, the U.S. government decides that, well, they're not going to let the shield and the Captain American mantle go away. Instead, we're going to get this new fellow, John Walker, a U.S. Army veteran, having served multiple tours in the Middle East, who gets to take on the mantle of Captain America, and therein causes a set of conflicts, because among the biggest issues here is what is the meaning of the mantle of Captain America, which is part of this show's interest, and the other is this group of people called the Flag Smashers, who are folks who survived the blip by by living the five years before people came back and have decided that the world that is being returned to the way that it used to be is not the world they want us to live in and have begun to engage in increasingly more aggressive tactics in order to bring back the world of the blip in which they, the world became much more interconnected. People were moving from country to country. There was a, a different world that existed. So that's all what's kind of going on. And then also John Walker's a jerk. So there's that too. And I'm sure we'll get into some things about John Walker. But I think that's the basic idea, yeah? Did I miss any big, big things? Not really. I mean, they're the individual observations of Sam and Bucky that are also, I think, pretty noteworthy. So I'll just kind of briefly mention that, which is that uh, Sam Wilson, after having um, relinquished Captain America's shield back to the US government, is also struggling with um, not only, like, the question of his own individual legacy in the shadow of uh, Steve Rogers, but with the fact that um, his own personal experiences, even as a military veteran, even as somebody still acting with the military, even as an Avenger, is still 
plagued with uh, racist microaggressions that make it very difficult for him to live and share space with people who find it a lot easier to operate in the world. And Bucky Barnes, uh, having now been pardoned by the by the United States government because he has saved the world from Thanos that one time, is... Kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a big deal. I mean, he <laughs> held up a raccoon and spun in a circle like a ballerina. Yes, that was cool but, though. But he was alive to do it, <laughs> and him doing it in some small way ensured that we all live. Uh, but is uh, obviously struggling, struggling with uh, mental illness in the aftermath of his experiences as the Winter Soldier, uh, struggling to make amends as a result. But is also that mental illness journey is somewhat complicated by Sam's decision because of lingering feelings he has about his relationship with Steve um, and his relationship with power in in general that has kind of like that he's also like personally struggling with so yeah I want us to talk about that first because it to me it, it seemed that there was an interesting contrast in this between uh, the winter soldier played by Sebastian Stan, and John Walker, who is our new Captain America, and then at the end becomes U.S. agent. And there's a whole complicated comic history we don't necessarily need to get into. But there's this thing where there's a moment in, like, episode four, I think it is, when we know from the Winter Soldier, right, he he had previously been mentally manipulated and basically put all these code words in his mind that forced him to lose his agency. He just, he worked for these, you know, for Hydra, right? And he would just murder people and commit assassinations. He had very little actual control over himself. That's gone now. Uh, and so in a lot of ways, what he's dealing with is the aftermath of all the pain and suffering he has caused for things that weren't actually his fault, right? He was broken down and forced into this versus John Walker, who actually, uh, after murdering uh, one of the Flag Smashers with the shield in what is a very interesting symbolic gesture, has this moment where he actually is told just straight up by the people who trained him to be a killer that uh, you no longer represent us and we're like ripping you of all of the titles that we gave you as a consequence of the training that we, we taught you to be. And there's this really weird contrast I thought happening between these two that we're having a great juxtaposition between two people who have been put in positions where they've done horrible things for different reasons. Now suddenly having that agency stripped or in the case of, of uh, the winter soldier, we're seeing the reversal. He now has a agency returned. Whereas John Walker, it's actually having all of that stripped from him by the very people who made him who he was. And I'm curious what others thought about these two characters and the way they're presented. Cause they're more complicated than what I suggested. But it's interesting, to say the least. Um, I think there is there's an interesting point there, because if you look at how they depicted that whole scene, it's also very reflective of how a lot of people, you know, see as uh, NATO forces or U.S. military as, you know, the public that they will protect you. Basically, they're coming here to protect. But on the grounds which they showed his, they end up killing one of his closest, like his friends. So on the grounds, the realities do change. Things happen, innocent people lose their lives because there is a military conflict there that you are involved in and you probably even shouldn't be there. Yeah, that is another thing like which I think is important here where you're right, they trained him, put him on in that situation, but obviously they didn't order him to kill an innocent person, you know. And that is kind of uh, a difference where a lot of people in power would say uh, they would contradict what actually happened in reality or in the situations. And uh, this is something was a very big about like drone attacks that happened during the whole thing in Pakistan. Until 2014-15, America, US wasn't even like recognizing that they were targeting targeting people through drone attacks uh, which is like completely against article 51 which they invoked as a self-defense to attack mm. basically so um yeah so i think the ground reality sometimes are completely different and devastating sometimes yeah i, I think it's interesting you bring up the issue of drone strike because part of what john walker's role here right is he's being used literally as a, a physical I mean, he's a human drone, basically, in the in the sense that he's being sent out 
to places where it doesn't there's no conversation in this in this series about whether or not he has any right to be there right has the country said that they can be there like it seems like they just kind of show up places uh in very much a kind of same way of like well we're talking drone strikes or other forms of military incursion john walker's just fulfilled that role which i think is very distinct from how captain america fulfilled that role because Cap didn't want to have a centralized authority telling him what to do. That was the whole basis of Civil War. Uh, what he wanted was more of like, I have a certain moral ethic I'm following. But John Walker doesn't seem to have that in the same way because he's being guided by the U.S. The U.S. is telling him. Well, there's this security councils telling him, but it's the, just the United States. I think it's interesting you brought that up because in a lot of ways, that's how John Walker sort of comes across. Um, he's just like an extrajudicial military agent for the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is one thing that like we're kind of partly dancing around. Bucky wasn't actually trained by Hydra. Bucky was trained by the United States military, much the same way that John Walker is. All Hydra did was give him an on-off switch for his conscience. And super hero serum. And the, yeah. the super serum, which is, I mean, same thing. <laughs> but, like, the parallels between specifically Bucky and John Walker that the series doesn't delve into, because they want the actual parent, they want what you look at side by side to be John Walker and Sam Wilson, because Sam says no and John says of course. But when you look at, like, Bucky and John, it gets really, really uncomfortable because of where their training comes from. And the fact that, like, Bucky starts showing conscience because he's he's got all of the, the Hydra on-off switch wiped from him. And John Walker is just like, I mean, I can do it. I know how. Is it okay if I do it? And so- someone, Madam Hydra, says, yeah, go ahead. Do it. No one's gonna say no. I'm not gonna say no. <laughs> and like that, that the actual difference between them is Bucky kind of wants to say no, and John always wants to say yes to like the violence mm. that he's causing. Um, cause I wanted to touch very briefly on that as well because, like, I agree that the show itself really doesn't want to linger very long on this observation, but I do think that the show is attempting to make some kind of observation between Bucky and John Walker because it is incredibly obvious as a result that the United States military does not care about whether you're experiencing mental illness so long as you get the job done. Uh, Like, there's a series of uh, TikToks by... A, by an African-American veteran uh, who goes by uh, Nikki Marina on TikTok. She does, like, maybe 20-something TikToks about this show because, like, she's mining a lot of her own military experience um, in order to, like, make some of those uh, very astute but also very troubling jokes. In a lot of those videos and in a lot of stuff that she made on YouTube afterward, um, she essentially kind of argues that... When you are in the military, and especially if you're a white person in the military, people will regularly overlook troubling mental health issues for the sake of your own growth in military hierarchy, because they want to ensure that you still get paid, they want to ensure that your pension doesn't get interfered with as a result of a dishonorable discharge, and they essentially essentially want you to use that... Uh, use whatever violent tendencies may linger as a result of that mental illness to go out in the field and do what needs to be done. What needs to be done. And as a result, they will overlook unnecessary acts of violence because, not only because they don't want to get in the way of that individual's growth, but because there is a narrative that that's what needs to be done, in quotes. And I think that that's a, a, a lot of that is kind of indicative in John Walker's characterization because every time that he like shares a private moment with uh Lamar before Lamar passes away in the series is about all of the things that they had to do while they were stationed in the Middle East and they never really go into great detail about those things but it's heavily implied that they did things that they knew for like they had the conscience enough to be aware of were terrible 
but that they would do it again because that's how they've been told to do the work. And I think like one of the most outstanding comparisons then between between John and Bucky is that when John is told that he is no longer a representative of the thing that he thinks gives him his military uh, power and acknowledges his prowess, he has no problem telling them to their face that this is the only thing that he can do. This is what he means when he says that you made me. He means that he can't be anything else. But when Bucky's therapist tells him that he's free, a thing that he's heard before, he still has no idea what that means for him yet. I mean, he has heard before. When we have that flashback to him getting actual therapy in Wakanda... Right. Yeah. yeah, like like he knows that he's free, like he's known that he's been free for months. He just has no idea what that freedom means. But John Walker has been given freedom, even an opportunity to stop committing violence, and he went, Nah, maybe maybe I'm not free. Maybe I don't want to be free. Maybe I keep doing the thing. Yeah? This goes back, I think, to some degree to the 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 this is a different interpretation of John Walker from the comics, but in a lot of ways, this John Walker's n- n- a nicer version than the comics John Walker, because the comics John Walker is is described explicitly as a as a far right wing, like hyper Christian American zealot kind of character, and so he and there is elements of that obviously here for this John Walker clearly, but in the comics he's like aggressively that way and the only way that they get around this with his conflicts with with steve rogers is because at one point steve rogers becomes like a hydra agent in the comics don't ask it's a whole awful awful whoever did that idea would just deserve to fall in a pit but like that's the only reason that he gets sort of rehabilitated in the comics is like but actually captain america is even worse because he's he's working for like the this agency that came out of the nazis but it's interesting to me that they they still wanted to have this very sort of like you know wyoming boy kind of like very much small town america like classic old school american feel to him and yet also the show seems to also want to criticize that version of him just doesn't necessarily want to lay into it enough which i think is maybe the thing we all kind of imagine think which is that this show has lots of interesting ideas that it it leaves on the table and doesn't quite develop and there are many of them we may not get into it does a lot of like yeah you know what this is and it's just like right. there's there's definitely people out there watching the show that are like I I don't know what this is. I think you're describing me, and I think I should be insulted, but I don't know what this is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the show has this very strong energy of maybe we should interrogate how the military conducts business, and then the very next scene is. Don't you think that this is badass? Like, I still have a lot of feelings about the very first action scene in this series. The very first the very first time that you see Sam Wilson do cool things in this series is deliberately framed as we need you to go and fight Batrock in the sky because that's what you're good at and we don't have anybody else to do it. You have Intel on the ground who is going to tell you whether you are entering airspace which might cause an international incident, which you would like not to happen. And then Torres literally tells him, Hey, you're getting close to pushing that international incident button. Maybe you don't want to enter into this airspace. And Sam goes, Nah, I'm gonna do it. And I'm, <laughs> I'm here thinking, You know that this is a bad idea. But you just want to you just want to commit to this bad idea well, and I'm supposed to think that it's impressive. But the military reality is, if anything goes terrible in this in this helicopter, you'd won't catch Patrock. You might seriously injure someone, and then you have to deal with an international incident, which you will not be held personally responsible for because you are here as a subcontractor. Why not just not do the thing? Like, the show has, like, several moments of we're supposed to think very critically about how the military uh, acts in these uh, situations, but still give Sam and or Bucky a pass because they're the good guys, even though they're in international space committing unsanctioned ops 
of their own volition without anybody uh, being held personally responsible for their actions. And then when things go terribly poorly, they just go back home and said, well, I guess it didn't work. And it's even worse than that. It's, I guess it didn't work. Well, we'll get the whole neighborhood together to fix the family boot. And no one does any, no one says anything. No one's like, hey, Sam, um, so I saw the news while you were gone. Um, you okay? Is everything all right? Yeah. Not once does an, does one of Sam's neighbors go to him when Bucky arrives and go, and goes, so I saw you got in a fight with. <laughs> Complete strangers in Latvia because someone insulted your sister. Maybe you should have just come home then. We would have helped you with the boat a week ago. It was GSP, so it's George St. Pierre. I don't mind GSP <laughs> in any scene, so that's why I just let it be. But, but uh, yeah, that's a very interesting point there. Again, coming back to have to relate it to drone strikes and everything. You know, the whole... When this whole thing started, Pakistan as a country was under dictatorship, it was under martial law. So obviously, when there is no law, there is martial law. There was really no legislation there. It was military literally was everywhere. All the departments, even, you know, civil department, everything, the military was running everything because it was an emergency. You'll see, I, I was just uh, reading a paper because I thought I should have some facts before I come <laughs> on this podcast. And honestly, I didn't even know that is like so so like devastating facts. This is a Stanford report that says around 3,000 civilians were killed in 10 years between 2006 and 2016, out of uh, which 175 were children in drone attacks in Pakistan. Has not this this has nothing to do with Afghanistan. This is just collateral. Mm-hmm. And 170 billion dollars infrastructure and foreign direct investment loss in those 10 years to a developing country. I'm just saying, like, you know, we, we saw in the in the movie uh, uh, where Wanda does that Lagos building thing, or there are so many things that they've shown, like, they don't really care about borders or airspace or any of that, isn't it? And that is reminiscent to what actually happened historically. When I was growing up, it was bad. It was bad, like, we would hear, like, suicide bombs every fourth, fifth day. I was living at a place, and not two, three blocks down, there was a blast where my parents thought I probably, I was in it. It was, it was, it was bad. I, I want to talk about, like, super soldiers first, yeah? So, like, this whole, uh, this whole thing that they showed super soldiers, every time I watch that, Flag Smashers, it kind of gives me idea of, like, Talibans, yeah? Mm-hmm very similar concept not necessarily they wanted to you know they they don't believe they didn't believe in borders or anything not exact concept but what they really reflect you know what they stand for was like fighting the power and uh, that's what i was talking to sean before this before we started the the podcast it was basically in 70s when america wanted to break ussr which was the superpower at that time they literally funded trained provided ammunition to these afghans and they basically became super soldiers in a way yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and basically these are the people who are professionally the only thing they know is war they were professionally trained to go fight the superpower and they ended up successful. And then they were left alone in that country, in Afghanistan, which they took over. <laughs> Mullah Umar and Amin al-Zawari, they made government uh, in that country. Like, literally, you can just imagine this show, you have these flag smashers, and they end up making their own country. That's what happened as a result of it. And as a country just next on the border of a country run by Taliban's, we had no issues with Taliban's before 2001-2. As a, as a kid growing up in Pakistan, we, we never had, like, we never thought they are some kind of villains or anything. No, they were just another government across the border. Like, there was no such thing. And all of a sudden, they started attacking our people because we were allied with America. American, um, you know, US so, and NATO forces when they came to Afghanistan. So Pakistan was one of the allies with NATO forces. All of that aside, 
you still ended up like like you said because there is no airspace they don't care about airspaces or anything you still ended up killing around 3000 civilians there was no communication with you know pakistani uh, authorities or anything the drone would just come attack mm. yeah just like the one of the similarity that i saw between the flag smashers and you know the whole serum is very much like training you know serum is like the training and ammunition you provide in the fight isn't it so like it's very this whole thing is very similar to super soldiers to me when i was watching it you know and like you could actually see when uh, what's the name of that girl um carly yeah carly you can literally see you know they also showed that she's a character you know with issues isn't it like she wasn't always like a bad person she's coming from this place of hurt and you know like suffering and all that kind of stuff so one plan says i have no sympathy for that taliban i would like because they killed kids in my country you know but i'm saying they still there is still that hurt place of hurt that they come from they've been uh, you know been, they've been trained and then all, given all the you know uh, skill and everything to fight but there was no fight for them so they started creating fights i think that is also what they in the show they showed is that now the world is getting better after the blip but these people who only know how you know they only know mayhem basically that's what they know mm-hmm. they still want that mayhem i kind of because like i did notice like a sliver of those like similarities as well um cuz like one of the things that stood out to me about the way that the flag the flag smashers are portrayed is obviously everybody's been noticing on twitter since the series has come out everybody's been having this like ultimate frustration um that um every every once in a while the MCU will introduce an a, an antagonist who's like maybe the world would be better if we did something and like it's always framed as this is like a legitimate good or at least a legitimate question that we should be asking and finding answers for for the sake of um improving our world and then like two episodes three episodes in or so, like a halfway into the movie they're like maybe people will understand why i think that this is a good thing if i start killing people yeah like my my particular frustration is not with the fact that that is like an unrealistic way for people to behave in the world because like there is no ultimate sympathy that you can uh, exhibit for people who have taken other people's lives but when you ask like very deeply why does someone want to commit this act sometimes that question is be- is genuinely because no one has been listening to us suffer for so long perhaps they will listen to some other suffering or sometimes genuinely just admitting at this point, I want other people to suffer. Like, we like to think that that isn't humanizing because they've committed an act of violence, but, like, lashing out at somebody out of hurt is often the most humanizing uh, thing that you can do. The thing that is bothersome about how that's portrayed in uh, Marvel media is, at the point when that happens, I only know two things about Kali. Well, three. She's a super soldier, but I don't know how she got it. I just know that she got it from the power broker. Mm-hmm. She has a mother figure named Mama Donya who has passed away, passed away of illness. And some part of uh, her not getting treatment is the responsibility of the GRC. And that she genuinely believes that uh, the GRC as a result makes it harder for individuals who were alive during the blip to... Uh, maintain resources to maintain connections worldwide. She thinks that that is um, genuinely wrong on a personal and political level. That's all. That's all we know about her. Up to the point at which she she commits the first killing. You mean? So like at that. So at that point is like, is this out of a place of pain? I mean, I don't want to be diminished. I don't want to diminish the, the the act of losing your mother figure. But no one murdered her. She died of illness. Maybe there's a case to be made more realistically than trying to just uh, blow up a building full of civilians. And the thing is, everybody else in the car when it happens knows that. And, like, the show is, like, trying very hard to, like, frame Carly as not only someone who's coming from a place of hurt, 
but someone who is coming from a place of hurt that is detached from the flag smashes that she's immediately in the uh, combat mm. circle of. But because we know so little about all of them, the only way that I can perceive Carly is... Carly is just an unnaturally violent person. Maybe some, like there were points when I was in the series and went, maybe somebody else should just lead this mission. Maybe this the guy with the long hair should do it because he seems pretty yeah, level headed. <laughs> yeah, he seems he seems pretty even handed. He likes asking questions, which is a thing that I like when someone is in a position of leadership. Maybe he should just lead the next two ops, Carly. You could just sit on in the corner and wait to be given instructions. Yeah, have some time to grieve. Yeah, like it's a little bit of space. There's also the fact that like. We don't know any of the other flag smashers' names. Yeah, they're they're like just faces who <laughs> sometimes talk. I saw two names in subtitles. Is how I knew two names. I cannot remember those names now. Yeah, their names aren't aren't relevant. I mean, I think it's really interesting all of this because one of the biggest criticisms of the show has been that even though at the very end, right, Sam gives this big speech on the end, and maybe we'll talk about it later but uh, in more detail. But for the most part, the show sort of does this thing where when it tells us what their motivations are, we go, well, but, but those are totally valid motivations. So their whole thing is literally, the blip happens, 50% of the world disappears, right? And then all of a sudden, the world goes, well, well shoot, all of these national border rules and all this immigration, like, this is all silly because we need bodies in other places for industry to grow crops and all of that. So all these people moved around the world and everyone was living in these all these now abandoned houses and they were making life and everybody was actually much more connected and there was a more of a collectivist nature in the world. And then everybody came back and instead of the world going, well, shoot, we have a new problem that we need to solve that doesn't disrupt the world that we've just built that is... I think is implied heavily as a better world. Uh, instead, we're just going to go back to the old world now. And so you all just need to get out. And there's there's literally this moment where the GRC is considering rounding up en masse, you know, tens of thousands or millions of people and just like shipping them off to countries that in some cases they have no relationship to at all uh, with nothing on their back, not even like basically the clothes on their backs and just like get out, go back to where you went. And it's, and when you hear that, you go, but the Flag Smashers are right. This new world is awful. It's a terrible place. These people have done nothing wrong, and yet they're having horrible things done to them. So I, I totally get it. But the show has to have her become a monster because it because otherwise we root with the wrong people because we're supposed to root with Sam. We're supposed to root with the winter soldier. We're not supposed to root for the flagsman. They're the, they're the, they're one of the bad guys. They're the complicated bad guy, but they're one of the bad guys. And so they have to make her a monster. And it's a bit frustrating because actually the, the story here should have been the real monsters were, were very clearly the GRC and to some degree, John Walker. And it should have been an actual switcheroo in this story where we think it's the Flag Smashers, but no, 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 the Flag Smashers are right. It's all this other apparatus. That's where the real villains are. And we don't get that. At the end, we get like, he just gives a speech and then they go, oh, I guess you're totally right, Sam. And it's like, that's the least realistic part of the entire movie. <laughs> there is uh, someone, interestingly enough, brought up that everyone thought that they had pulled that switcheroo. And then the showrunners give an interview and they're like, yeah, we thought this was a great redemption moment oh, for John Walker in the last episode where he pulls up the van and everyone was just like, I thought he was doing that because the cameras were there. And that's what he was. T oh, oh, you weren't leading into a whole Madame Hydra Patriot. Yeah. OK, All right, <laughs> we'll be quiet. Yeah, I think that would have been interesting if they would have made, you know, GRC as Hydra, you know, Hydra backing up GRC and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, that would have been a more interesting, you know, it would have been like a new, the whole new perspective on the same story then, isn't it? It would have been, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I agree. But I mean, like, it's also, like, I think that it is valuable, even if they don't, like, commit enough energy to actually asking questions about it. But I think it's valuable to present the GRC as just out of touch. Like, that is the part of... Like United Nations. Of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that is the part of Sam's speech at the end that is valuable. That we create hierarchies and make assumptions about communities of people based on nothing more than the 
presumption that the power that you have is absolute and no one should challenge it. Um, but those assumptions are improper. And, mm-hmm. like, one of the other things that kind of stands out, uh, to, like, circle back to that question of, like, well, what was the ultimate intention for the movie? I think a lot about Black Panther. Because Black Panther is, like, one of the few MCU movies that, even though fulfilling its formula, I think it did a lot of things very, did a lot of very small things that deviate from the formula in really radical ways. And one of the things that stands out to me in comparison to The Falcon and the Winter Soldier is that most MCU series, like most other superhero media, uh, is all about the protagonist having an ideal clashing with an antagonist ideal, and the conclusion is which ideal wins. Um, So we go into The Falcon and the Winter Soldier and assume that the ideal is therefore defending people or destroying people when we obviously know that the question of the flag smashes is more complex as a result because they want resources because they want their communities in order to survive but black panther very interestingly opens as a question of uh, the ideals of wakanda versus killmonger's radical ideals but the way that that is resolved is before we even get into the final fight of the movie t'challa wakes up in the the grove of the ancestors where his father and the spirit of the black panther are residing and admits you know what i was wrong maybe wakanda's ideals are actually trash and maybe we should change wakanda's ideals which i like kind of briefly uh bring down to maybe Nakia was right and maybe I should have listened to Nakia 20 minutes into this movie <laughs> and we would never be in danger. I mean, he has that whole powerful moment where he yells, you were wrong. Yeah. And when you actually think about it, it's like, oh, you didn't mean you, dad, specifically were wrong for making this one singular decision. It's you, the literal collective ancestry of Wakanda were wrong for the way that you approached the world political structure. It's just like, if you think about it, it's like, that's a lot. That's yeah. a lot for three words. Yeah, it's, it is. Yeah. No, and the thing is, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier wants that same moment. And the reason why it is diluted as a result, the reason why I think that it doesn't compare, is Sam is having that conversation after being consciously aware that elsewhere in New York City, dozens of police officers and army personnel that he is not in the immediate presence of must have gotten in, into armed conflict with a flag smasher and immediately decided to kill that person. And he has no control over that. But didn't they get arrested? They got arrested, I mean, didn't yes, they? The they other... I mean, they did get arrested. But like, I'm thinking like in the, like the wider, like... Um, non-visually established on-screen question of Got you it. are still engaging in conflict. You have not given anyone any directives. You have not asked anybody to like think more deeply about the violence that they're about to get into. Like It is particularly troubling for me, for instance, to see Sam meet up with Carly in that final moment and tell Carly, I am not going to fight you. The first 40 minutes of this movie has been a fight. You've been fighting yeah. with everybody else. Well, I mean, to be fair to Sam, he, he, he he's not a very great fighter. <laughs> so He's the only person in the room without a super serum. <laughs> we can I be know, patient but, with him for but, that. The guy needs to go get some mixed martial arts training. Like, <laughs> his, he can fly really well, but that, like, throwing punches is not his jam. I'm just saying. I mean, he's making the same assumption that Steve has made for 20 years without ever having to worry about it, which is, I have the shield and I know trigonometry, so I don't need to worry about anything else. Yeah. Although, to be to be fair, when Steve punched you in the face, your teeth came out, so... Yeah. Yeah, that's not the way you necessarily want to go. I mean, I agree in a lot of ways, like, the, the problems that exist with that end speech is, is partly, I think, because this, this six episodes long... And there are huge themes here that it wants to develop, but it it wants to also do like all this other like I don't know why Baltrack the Leaper is in here. I I like George St Pierre, he's great, but he is such a footnoted villain in this, and they want to have him be also kind of a big part of the story, 
But with six episodes, you don't have the space for the John Walker narrative, the Sam narrative, the Sam and the Winter Soldier narrative, the Winter Soldier narrative, uh, also Carly and the Flag Smashers narrative, and the GRC narrative, and also we've got Valentina, and then also we've got the Power Broker, who's also Sharon Carter. Like, there's all of this stuff, but you've crammed it into less than six hours because the episodes are like 50 minutes long right so it's 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 literally like what like uh five hours five hours of content and you've crammed effectively like three movies into five hours of of content that don't quite feel earned out and so i just wanted more i wanted those themes to get drawn out like john walker's narrative needs to get drawn out more here so that we we see the full train because i i think they have moments in here where you kind of understand where john walker comes from but when he when the it turns to darkness it there's not a lot of time left for him to get the redemption arc that the directors thought that they were giving him which also no uh that's a little gross to me i don't i don't think john walker is redeemed at the end or or you know like the Sam's whole thing, uh, you know, with his, him trying to work with his family, at least we get mostly that resolved, right? He's trying to fix the boat up and like save his family business. And he's trying to do all that. That at least is mostly there. But then when we get to the end, he gives a speech at the end. There, there's not enough space there for that. It just like it basically turns it into almost like narration uh, where like the, the film like just puts some words up and tells us what happens at the end. Right. Because it doesn't want to tell that story. That's kind of how that end felt to me. It's a cool speech. Don't get me wrong. I like the content of it and the the feeling that it embodies. And he's right. I need like another episode where like this gets drawn. We get we get to see this pulled out and stretched out and given more more energy. Mm -hmm. And I think that just so often this show doesn't it, it doesn't want to have those narratives fully fleshed out, which I don't know. I don't know why they ordered six episodes. I think 13 episodes is good. Just do 13, right? It's enough space. You can tell such a cool story. This is also weird when, like, your parent company owns the media that you're on. So, like, you didn't have to be in a hurry. Disney could have just told Disney, here's what, you get 13 episodes. Because that's essentially what this means here. Like, you are yeah. not fighting for resources to be on Disney+. Plus. It's your... Uh, streaming service. Well, and the pandemic did somewhat affect this because they had started filming and then the pandemic hit, so they had to stop and then they had to come back. But that should have been the clue. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. maybe we rethink this. <laughs> mm -hmm. There was also some talk that originally, before the pandemic, the whole, the, the Flag Smashers, I think, weren't there and the whole thing was supposed to be about, like, a bioweapon that causes disease and then the pandemic happened and they were like, oh, Too close oh, to home. Ah. Maybe we don't want to do You know, <laughs> maybe we won't make this the plot. What what else we got? Looks at the news. Uh, BLM? No, 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 we can't use that. Uh, flag Smashers. Yes, yeah. good. We'll just put a new label over it and it's fine. Which is a problem a lot of series have. <laughs> yeah. So since we've pressed that button, we should probably commit some energy to asking some questions about how blackness and racism is portrayed in uh, the show yeah. because I find it particularly <laughs> interesting that we can make the observation that we're trying to have our BLM cake and eat superhero too um, because I, I, like, I, I wouldn't say that it wasn't obvious that that was the show's intent like I think um, the primary writer Malcolm Spellman um, had every intention of going very deeply into, like, asking questions about race in particular. But not only do I agree that this is one of the other, this is another thing that kind of suffers from only having six episodes of not even an hour of content each, but it did feel a lot of the times that, as a result of not having time to grow naturally into an element of the story... It felt consequentially very shoehorned into the story in a way that is disappointing for people who want to see that fleshed out more in that kind of work, but also for people who need to experience, like, like visualize some more of that kind of experience in media would, as a result, not get enough to even think that it's a problem. Like... 
I think a lot about the the bank scene, for instance, which is a very poignant scene. In any other television show, it would be just as dramatic a moment. But what kind of takes out from that experience is it happens, it's done. We never see Sam have to deal with a thing again until the police show up. Which is not me saying that I want Sam to be constantly surrounded by visual representations of racism for six episodes straight. (laughs) Yeah. Like, there are moments in the show where if you are not empathetic enough, you can still look at the show and go, but you're still an an Avenger. You still get to fly away from some of this shit, which is kind of frustrating to me. Again, like, so obviously not being in America, in Britain is a bit different, obviously. It is there. Can't say there's no racism. There is racism. Yeah, that was something, like, it's more of like, uh, if they actually opened that chapter, they should have dwell more into it because i think that is very important especially we see people of color you know getting to certain like getting success getting to certain places in their careers in their life and still facing all those you know issues and that's what we you know would want to see if okay sam became captain america now okay let's see we we crossed that hurdle but what is his life like as a person of color after being captain america and i think we see rappers you know all kind of successful people still being stopped by police all kind of you know discrimination still happening doesn't matter if you have money or you drive good you know if you live in a big house or you drive a lamborghini just doesn't matter so i think that is something that i would have been more interested in watching and you know getting into uh what sounds like they showed oh they went to museum and now they have this whole section in museum that is just too reductive because (laughs) i need a whole season about just that Mm -hmm. i i would love if there were an entire series that should have probably been the six episode series about Elijah Bradley telling Eli stories about when he was Captain America and we get those flashback scenes and you can have those moments and then you come back and you remember Elijah Bradley is a vet that was abandoned entirely by the US government. That could have been your six episode series. It was right there. I've read the comics, it's right there. That's exactly. And that would have fit so perfectly into that framework. Yeah. And they were just like, "Mm, no, we're going to tackle the entire issues of like globalization and and what happened during the blip and Batroc's love of Captain America and distaste for Sam Wilson, which is the only reason that I can think he's in this series at all. Right. I mean, you're right. Like the Isaiah Bradley thing is is super interesting. And it is it in it. It's ironic that a a series that is having telling us that America has buried the story of Isaiah Bradley. Isaiah Bradley's story is buried in a lot of ways within this this show because it's sort of very much a footnote. It's like this little like nice touch, but yet we're not talking about like this is the thing I I like the like the Watchmen series that they did. The very first episode of the Watchmen series did the Tulsa Oklahoma bombing. Right, in pretty gruesome detail. And it, it didn't pull any punches about what what it means for America to have uh, white Americans to have bombed effectively a Black Wall Street in, in the early days of, of Black Wall Street. And in this show is doing kind of the same thing, which is to say that Isaiah Bradley has has served as effectively the mantle of Captain America at a time when uh, black Americans were not really allowed to take those roles. Right. They were not full citizens of this country. And then has all that stripped from him. He's he's turned into a guinea pig, you know, going back to like Tuskegee, right, of the experiments at Tuskegee. He's turned into a guinea pig. All this stuff has happened to him. And now he's like allowed to like live in this house. And he's wants this quiet life because he's had all this abuse thrown at him. And the show doesn't want to sit down and say, really, what does that actually mean for the legacy of Sam Wilson? It asks the question and offers like a really quick answer. But it doesn't really want to delve into that. And to me, that is that is I, like the power broker thing. Like, I just he don't need to go to Madripoor. Just throw that out. Have more of this story. This story is actually interesting. Having Sam deal with the legacy of racism in the country that he clearly cares about. And he wants to represent by being its or at least he eventually wants to represent by becoming the Captain America. He actually needs to deal with what this this actually means. 
rather than just having some brief moments where that's kind of brought up. Because Isaiah Bradley's a huge deal, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of reasons in this story. How I feel about it is, first, like, to the point of how how it feels buried in the show, is that we see Isaiah on screen maybe a total 24 minutes. But the story of Isaiah Bradley in Marvel comic lore got a five-issue miniseries. So obviously there are entire parts of his story that now need to be truncated for me to even know what his experience was in the first place. I don't get to see Isaiah Bradley's perspective. I get to see Isaiah Bradley tell a bedtime story to Sam Wilson, which is frustrating in its own right, but equally frustrating because it is then framed in the show as Sam Wilson has a bedtime story and decides that he's not going to live that bedtime story. Because, like, it is essentially established as this kind of narrative push forward for Sam to decide that he's not going to have the same experience that Isaiah has. That when he sits down with um his sister, Sarah, as they're now beginning to fix this goddamn boat... <laughs> they're talking about that conversation and Sam essentially uh, replies that we've gone through too much for me to not decide to be Captain America in this moment. It's like, I haven't seen what you've gone through. I've seen you go to the bank once and I've seen you be accosted by the police once. And I know what that means and I know what that feels like. But yeah. there is still... Uh, there's still a narratively established disconnect between your experience and the experience of all of your neighbors. And you've just heard the story of someone maybe twice, three times your senior suffer incredible indignities before you were ever born. And you came back, you came back home to tell your sister, well, he's gone through that, but I won't. It's like, very diminishing at some point, where instead it would have been a, a lot more endearing to see uh, Sam and Isaiah develop a much stronger relationship as a result because they share like this tangential experience of what the super serum does to corrupt the military experience and therefore corrupt their own experience as black men in a way that would be more encouraging um, more holistic, more respectful. Like, what I would have loved much more, even though I understand the boat as a metaphor for family legacy and stuff like that, what would have been much more emotionally endearing for me is if they stripped all of those moments and then replaced all of those moments with Sam going to Isaiah's house and, like, buying groceries or teaching Eli how to handle the shield and, like, spending all of those moments with two black men sharing their own experiences and coming to an understanding together instead of Sam being gifted an experience by an older gentleman and deciding that that's the push for him to become Captain America. I think the only thing that show addresses very well, I think what we I would give credit where credit is due, is about like the representation. So they kind of represent the issue there. But like, it's not enough in today's time today day and age it's not enough just to represent the issue especially this particular issue if you really pick it up you just have to get dig deep and actually like i would be especially like growing up in pakistan i did not face any racism until i came to uk because i'm the majority in my country so like i came to uk and then i faced racism and then my wife is american so i hear it's much worse in in us so i i can't say i can relate in the in in that way but i think for for us like for any minority we this is an issue of representation you know that is the first step which they they, they represented the issue and i think that's what a lot of hollywood movies or shows end up doing they represent the issue, but they don't really get into all the details of why, how, and what. You know, they only say, okay, there's racism, but what about it? What about racism? How it actually happens in the society and what people actually face and what are the traumas and results of that and how it actually, you know, molds the overall society. Uh, which everybody lives in it's not like just people of color you know you are actually molding the whole society by 
literally introducing more trauma to it isn't it so it's not enough just to represent the issues in these shows they have to talk more about them give people perspective i'm pretty sure because marvel is like a, a global and international thing it's not an american thing and these are the issues which everybody needs you know everybody needs to know about more because a, a lot of people can relate to these things it's not very america centric us centric issues there are different sort of discrimination racism in everywhere all across the world isn't it yeah, yeah. i think they can make a whole show about it uh, like uh, like ali said i think that is i think they should do that just pay me some money for for the idea me and ali <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll take that check from Disney. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you deserve it. I think this is like the big issue, just in Marvel in, gen- in general, which is, you know, at times it does it exceptionally well, but sometimes they just they just need to sit with some stuff some more. I think Black Panther does it pretty well because it's one of the major thematics of that entire movie uh, of the issue of how Wakanda relates to the rest of the world. But some of the other films kind of have big themes that it just kind of skips past. Like Ant-Man doesn't really want to deal in any serious way with the fact that they're dealing with the the uh, the post-prison complex, which is you know, people who can't find jobs because they're criminals. Like, they make a joke about it, and then they just kind of ignore it, even though he's become a criminal. Extra criminal. <laughs> you know? Especially in this series. They come so close. They have all of this setup of, like, the complex international, like, problem of racism, because Carly is a mixed Black woman from the UK. The, you got so much there. You're so close. You're almost there. Then they're like, we're never going to mention that she is mixed or black. Look, she's got red hair and light skin. Can't be black. Yeah, it is weird that it doesn't want to... It has racism happen to, to Sam to and to everyone, I, to Bradley, but, but not to her Or any of reason. the other Flag Smashers, which, if I recall correctly, yeah, are majority incredibly... POC. Yeah, they are like Captain Planet and the Planeteers with their diversity of having at least one of everything. <laughs> oh, God. I am heart. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I just watched the opening for a thing that I sent someone. I'm sorry. Oh, Lord. No, it's really fine. <sighs> okay, folks. Well, look, we, we, we have a lot more that we could talk about, clearly. Uh, but we, we cannot talk for as long as the show ran. Because I think there's technically a podcasting law against that. Uh, and I don't want to see what happens when we violate it. Uh, because I imagine it's just John Walker shows up at your house and beats you up. So, thank you all so much for joining us today for Screen Scouts. Uh, before we head out, I'd like to let our wonderful guests tell us about the things that they have going on in their life. So, Ali, where can folks learn more about you and your work? My name is Ali Bustian. I am Mad Piro, M-A-D-P-I-E-R-R-O-T, on most of the internet except TikTok and Instagram, where it's Love Mad Piro, uh, and Twitch, where I am Mad Piro TV. I design games and I write things for games, and I sometimes talk on Twitter or yell on Twitter about like wrestling, pop culture, and a bunch of other things. So if you like that. Find me on, on, on social medias and stuff. And Fike, what about you? So, yeah, uh, Fike, Lodhi, I go by the artist name Lodhi, which is my surname. And uh, you can find me on, uh, like, everywhere with, with the name Lodhi Words, which L-O-D-H-I-W-O-R-D-S, as in words. Spotify, Apple Music, all the digital stores. I do Punjabi, Urdu, hip-hop. And I'm a poet. And uh, yeah, The Culture Shock is my latest project. Just stream, download. Thank you. Well, thank you both for, for being here and lending us your insights. Really, really appreciate you you both taking the time out to talk to us. Thank you. As for uh, everyone else, the delightful listeners, if you'd like to know more about us and uh, want to let us know what you think about the show, go to skiffingfan.com slash uh, listener suggestions. Also, go to skiffingfan.com just in general for stuff at Skiffy and Fanti on Twitter and Instagram, or the newsletter, skiffyandfanti.com slash newsletter. If you like what we do, patreon.com slash skiffyandfanti, and also leave five-star reviews on iTunes. Uh, as for me, you can find me at Sean Duke on Twitter, seanduke.net, or patreon.com slash thejoyfactory. 
And you can find me at The Rising Tithes on Twitter, Brandon O'Brien.space is with my, my website, and on Speculate, which you can find at speculatesf.com, where I currently am GMing The Case of the Cinded Seal, a Blades in the Dark actual play miniseries. Sweet. All right, it's my job now to make this awkward, so I will just let you know that in preparation for this show, I did in fact have a super serum soldier injected into my thigh uh, earlier this this past week. Um, I will just note that I got this from a fellow named Bob who was in an alleyway selling syringes full of a very bright blue, blue liquid. So if if I in fact don't get superpowers, just know that it most likely it's because I've melted into the into the floor. I mean, it might be because you got the whole soldier. Oh, all right. So long as you also got your vaccine at the same time, I'm fine. I think you need to take vaccine before the Bob serum. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll right. monitor that situation and keep you all apprised. I might get superpowers. Who knows? Or I'll or I'll die because <laughs> it was it was laundry detergent. <laughs> and on that note, awkward ending and see. Uh, see you later, everyone. If you want to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty or skiffyandfanty.com, our website, where you can get access to all of our fancy things. Our music comes from Holy Mole. You can support him and his work at patreon.com slash holy mole. Thank you for listening. <laughs>